The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. During the course of Advent and our Wednesday evening services, we focused on the coming of the gift of Jesus as announced by the Gospel writer Luke, telling the story of how Elizabeth was found pregnant even in her old age, barren though she was, and how Mary, a virgin, was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Of course, both Elizabeth and Mary suffered, even with the gifts that were given to them. Elizabeth had to endure raising a son who would then become this sort of eccentric, prophetic figure out in the wilderness wearing a loincloth made of camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey, while Mary had to endure the reproach of not having a father for her child. And then later when she presents Jesus in the temple, Simeon arrives and he prophesies concerning Jesus. He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, this boy who is appointed for the rising and falling of many. He's going to be bringing grief to your heart, which was fulfilled, of course, when Mary stood at the foot of the cross and watched her son crucified for the sins of the world. That was Mary and Elizabeth who suffered in receiving the gifts of Christmas, the gifts prepared for in Advent. That was Mary and Elizabeth, but how about today? How about all of the mothers of Bethlehem? It seems strange, at best, and maybe morose, maybe kind of morbid, that on the fourth day of Christmas, we remember the massacre of all of those holy innocents, as they are called, the first martyrs, really, the first martyrs of the New Testament, all those baby boys under the age of two with whom Herod was displeased because he thought they could be the king come to take his throne. How about those mothers who received in their hometown, in their town of Bethlehem, the gift that we all received at Christmas, the Savior of the world, at which we sang, O little town of Bethlehem. I was thinking about the, the, the tragic irony of these words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, except if you're one of those mothers. One of those mothers who lost their babies on account of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus. How would they 
have thought about all of that? Would they have considered their town a blessed town? A town about which they could sing praises and songs of joy? Now, it's important to know that this was not just some senseless tragedy. That's often how these kinds of events are viewed in our world. Senseless tragedies, tragedies without any point, just awful misery, wickedness, evil, violence that besets our world. But really, in some sense, not any tragedy is pointless. Every tragedy serves the purpose of glorifying God, and this one is even more the case. For this one, it is even more the case that God is glorified because this tragedy illuminates the fullness of time. The fullness of time. That's how St. Paul describes what happened when Jesus was born. He says, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a virgin, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those who are under law. And the picture is apt, I think. Imagine time being this kind of thing, like a balloon that could be filled up filled up to the point of bursting. And when it was full, when it was full, that's when Jesus was born. History was full. What was it full of but prophecy? Prophecy and foreshadowing and types of Jesus, things pointing ahead to Jesus. That's what Matthew is drawing our attention to when he writes this gospel. He says that Jesus was taken to Egypt by his parents, fleeing from Herod, Why? In order to fulfill, to fill up what was spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And what happened when all of those mothers in Bethlehem cried out at the sight of their baby boys being murdered by Herod's soldiers? What happened was that the fullness of time had come. History had become full. History had become full to the point of bursting, to the point of everything finally coming to fruition. But notice what it consists of. It's not all sunshine and butterflies and rainbows. It includes this. It includes the raging of wicked kings like Herod. That's what the psalm considers, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? This is not the first time that that has happened. In fact, think of Egypt. Think of the people of Israel in Egypt, slaves in Egypt, and what had Pharaoh commanded but that the midwives would kill the baby boys as soon as they were born. And when that didn't work, because the Hebrew midwives were too clever, Pharaoh said, throw the baby boys into the Nile River, raging against God's people, a proud king raging against the Lord's anointed. The psalm goes on, however, Psalm 2, as it considers, why would the kings bother to do this? They're, They're punching against somebody who's far bigger than them, They picked a fight with someone they can't win against. Why would they do that? Because, of course, the Lord sits in the heavens and he laughs. He laughs. God laughed when Pharaoh threatened his people by suggesting that the baby boys be thrown into the Nile. God laughed. What could that do to stop his plans of making a great nation for Abraham, of saving the world through the seed of the woman? What could Herod do to stop God's plans of salvation for the world? by threatening the baby boys in Bethlehem? What could Herod do to stop God's plan of salvation for all of those poor mothers and those poor boys who were lost in that day? What could Herod do raging against the Lord and against his anointed? Nothing. And so even on a day like this, when all of those mothers were weeping and wailing, 
the Lord was sitting in the heavens and laughing, not at their misery, but at the futility of Herod, spinning his wheels, trying to hold on to something that was never his to begin with. The Lord laughs. He laughs because he knows that the end is in sight for the likes of Herod and Pharaoh, because out of Egypt he has called a son. Now, the prophet Hosea speaks those words about Israel, God's people. God had drawn them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and made Israel his child, his beloved son. But Israel always went astray, following their own hearts. And so a better son was needed. And who better to fill that role? Who better to be the perfect Israel, the perfect son of God, than the very son of God, the word of God made flesh? And so the scriptures were filled up. Out of Egypt I have called my son, this time a son who will not disobey, who will not worship golden calves, who will not worship false gods and bales, who will not follow the desires and designs of his own heart, but a son who will obey perfectly, even to the point of death. And so the fullness of time had come. History had become full. The prophecies had been filled up. Even this prophecy that you heard from Jeremiah, Rachel weeping for her children. That's a prophecy that Jeremiah spoke just as the people were about to go into exile because of their sin. The Babylonians were going to carry them off and Jeremiah was telling them about the disaster that was coming for them. But it will only be for 70 years. That's what Jeremiah said. For 70 years you have to leave your home and you should repent while you're away because the Lord is going to bring you back. And so, although Rachel who stands in for all of the mothers of Israel, although Rachel is weeping because her hopes are dashed, the hopes and dreams of all the years they've been dashed because they're far from their homes, they're not in their land, they don't have a temple, they don't have a priesthood, they don't have Jerusalem, where are the promises of God? Although Rachel was weeping, God said, weep no more. You heard it in our lesson. Rachel should not weep any longer because there is hope for your future, declares the Lord and your children shall come back to their own country. Hope for Rachel, hope for Mary and Elizabeth, hope for even all of those mothers of those poor baby boys in Bethlehem because the fullness of time had come. And although there was this tragedy, this casualty of sin in the world, those baby boys were not the worse for it. St. Augustine, who is uh, a church father from the first several centuries of the, of the church, so 1,500 plus years ago, he reflected on this day and he made some incredible observations. He said that King Herod could not have done better for those children than by murdering them. He could not have benefited those children even by the sweetest kindness. Had he given them the best gifts in the world, he could not have done better for them than he did by murdering them. Now, that seems strange to say, but what was Augustine's point? He said, these baby boys who were killed in Bethlehem are rightly called infant flower martyrs. They were the church's first blossoms, matured by the frost of persecution. That's what Augustine said. Now, if I were to use the image of a flower to talk about those baby boys, I would say that they had been nipped off before they had a chance to even grow up and blossom. But what does Augustine say? He says that they bloomed under persecution. Because, why? They received the very thing promised to you and to me. They received it even before the age of two. They received the glory of God's gifts. 
And although Herod thought that he was destroying something, ruining God's plans, getting in the way of a future king, he was actually giving eternity to those baby boys. Strange to say, but that's what we rejoice in when we think about martyrs. We think about how they have finally, at long last, received the gifts promised to them by God. And that is why, again, on this day, when we remember what Herod did, we remember that history has become full. The fullness of time has arrived. Which means that for all of those mothers who are weeping, on the last day when they stand before God's throne and they are given the acclamation, the commendation of faithfulness, when they receive the prize that we all await in heaven, they will not say, I wish that that had not happened to my sons. But instead they will say, if that's what it took for Jesus to be born among us, for him to live and die among us, for, he, for him to be our Savior, if that's what it took, it was worth it. It was worth every tear. It was worth every bit of sorrow and grief. It was worth every bit of doubt and despair and tragedy. It was worth every bit of it because that is what our salvation required. That Jesus come into the world filling up time, filling up history, filling up prophecy for us, for you and for me. And the same goes for you. You have suffered tragedies of various kinds in your lives, maybe not as grievous as these baby boys being killed in Bethlehem. There are tragedies yet to come. But you can be sure, as beloved children of God, as sons of God, you can be sure that every one of those things is used by God to bring you closer to him, to draw you closer and closer to his glory, to draw you closer and closer to eternity, to teach you repentance and faith, to teach you to trust in your heavenly father, just as Joseph trusted in God's word as he took Jesus to Egypt, away from home, far away, waiting for God's word. You can be sure that it is all meant for your good. And that is why, just like those mothers in Bethlehem, on the last day when you stand before God's throne and you look, before everything that has, look back on everything that has happened to you, you will not say, I wish it had not happened. Instead, you will say, if that's what it took, if that's what it took to get me here, it was well worth it. Because at long last you have received everything God has promised to you. So rejoice. Even though it seems like a somber and morbid day, rejoice. Because the fullness of time has come and our Savior is here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.